This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, net neutrality, um, maybe not Trump and Kim Jong, um, even though that has been fun on Twitter uh, the past 24 hours. Welcome um, to a mostly dry team. Um, welcome, Laura. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Warren. Um, how are we all doing tonight? Well, you know, we're wet and a little bit, yeah, it, a little it's, bit quiet. I think it's, it's, it's just was, a dark old night out there. Hey. Yeah. Well, whatever you're doing for tonight, it's a warm stop to talk about stuff we like to talk about. On this your is way true. This is this is your warm, fuzzy little like safety zone. You can just get out of the get out of the rain and come in to bite into it. Absolutely. Exactly right. Um, two other people that will be doing that as well are a husband and wife duo from Melbourne um, who've picked up a 2018 Australian Good Design Award uh, for their interactive media artwork, The Storytelling Machine, and they'll be doing a bunch of other um, good stuff as well. Um, so we'll be checking in with uh, those two shortly. Also, uh, transhumanism, uh, it is a thing. It's kind of a um, cyberpunk, um, kind of Silicon Valley, whispered secret kind of thing. But... Um, we should probably check into it uh, from time to time. Um, so we're going to have a look at that a little bit later in the show. What progress has been made? Is it um, science fiction or is it science fact? Um, stick around for a chat about transhumanism. But before we get there, um, there is um, a lot of interesting stuff making news um, locally and um, around the world. Um, have you ever... Have, have you, do you guys Google yourself ever? You, it's between friends, so you can talk about <laughs> Who doesn't do that? Yeah, totally. Every now and then. I, I, I resist the urge because most of the time the results are actual members of my family. But um, <laughs> it's just we're not particularly... Hands down, Sam the Third? Yeah, more or less. It's right. um, We're not particularly creative with the names. Mm. So, um, But yeah, no, I, I think you'd be lying if you said you never Googled yourself. Mm. I'm well. actually pretty lucky. There's a ton of Laura Summerses out there. There's just so many... It's pretty. It's pretty easy to get lost in the crowd, and I don't have to feel too worried about like being the one obvious person on the internet. So actually, when I see something on the web and it's like I'm, I'm actually at the top of the results. I'm quite excited because I'm like, hey, I'm visible. It's cool. It's me. Mm. Is that uh, is that number three search result of me? My LinkedIn profile in Islamic. Is that right? Did you actually just Google yourself? Give me a look yeah, at I, these results. I, I haven't done it for a little. Hold while. Hold on. He's handing his computer over, and I'm about to drop it everywhere. You um, do realize that is, this that is in, you in Arabic. It's it's not that. Um, valid though, like when you think about global search results, like we're we're going to be getting like results that are very much skewed towards Australia and you know Australasia. Yep. So yeah, if you if you were googling for Warren Davies over in San Fran, you'd probably you you wouldn't even be on the yeah has the not been here yet. Talks has about not, the place yeah. all the time. Yeah, totally. exactly. Well, and you know the number of t- times that you've googled yourself and clicked on the links that are relevant to you, Google's going to be showing you that anyway. So mm. it's a, it's a bit skewed, but still. <gasps> Man, there's some really some really sus lawyers out oh, there. Oh, yeah, man, much better all right. Tonight. Oh, I'm going to give it a go. Um, <laughs> one, one person who has been uh, searching for themselves is uh, Millerad Michael uh, Trakulia. Um, sorry, uh, Michael, if I didn't get that right. Um, he's now been um, given the uh, opportunity by the High Court to sue Google uh, for defamation over claims the search engine's results for his name could indicate he has ties to Melbourne's criminal underworld. Wait, um, did I just read this right? He was shot in the back? Not by Google. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> that, that's not why he sued Google. But no. yeah, so he was shot in the back in an unrelated um, incident. So it wasn't 
part of Melbourne's or underworld. Or was it? Or was it? Well, yeah. uh, no, but we've got oh. to be careful about this because yeah. he might sue. No. <laughs> Wait, so, so did did he sue because he thought that he was defamed because someone mistook him for someone else so, and then shot him? Was that... No. So what was, what was going on? He happened to be there um, mm-hmm. uh, for, for whatever reason and under mm. whatever circumstances. Um, and afterwards, um, he was taking interest in coverage of it and his name was appearing next to um, search results related to the underworld and he said that was defamatory and you can't do that. Google um, protested it initially and said uh, anyone searching for Melbourne Underworld realises that um, the results are not um, necessarily criminals. It serves up results on movies and pop culture and tours and you get this kind of, um, you know, um, kind of fruit salad of kind of results that are not based in fact. So please like you know we've got stuff to do Mm. um but he stuck with it and he said the autocomplete function was one of the things that he had massive issue with um because it was actually suggesting to people that he did so it wasn't just the results Mm. um he started typing this in and over time maybe he should have stopped searching for himself i'm not sure um but But surely he's he he on his own wouldn't have actually like affected google's machine learning algos to get them to (laughs) portray that result um, I mean, but look, Your Honor, look at this. Look at my yeah. phone. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. suppose. Um, I mean, that's interesting, right? Because I suppose it's easy for Google to say, oh, we don't want to, you know, this is this is some kind of neutral technology thing. But mm. um, Google not. definitely does uh, censor some of those results. Like mm. there's an interesting one. If you go to something like Bing or DuckDuckGo and search for um, Hillary Clinton is a, mm. um, and mm. if you on, on like non-Google, it will say things like is a criminal, is, you mm. know, like something about emails, you know, and like all the crazy yeah. right-wing sort of yeah, um, yeah, yeah. conspiracy theories come up. But on on Google, apparently, all it will show you now is Hillary Clinton is a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a questionable claim. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Dan. Um, speaking of questionable things, um, mm. Unlocked, um, uh, an interesting story from the past um, few years. Um, they're in a bit of trouble. Um, yeah. Laura, what's going on here? Well, not just trouble. They're they're shutting their doors, eh? Mm. You know, it's just, just ironically enough, that article about the guy and... Th- he, I'm, I'm getting an advertisement for a related article, which is Unlocked Enters Voluntary Administration Blames Google. So mm. I don't know if this is Google knowing my search history a little bit too well at this stage. Mm. Clearly, these two articles have been up in my browser history. Mm. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to the actual news. <laughs> um, Unlocked uh, is a pay uh, pay pay um, consumers for their attention. So basically in... If you agree to see different ads on your phone every time you unlock your phone, it gives you rewards and gives you like little little sort of incentives to be a, a willing consumer. And it was being sold through the Google's app store and Google decided, hey, we're not gonna let you cut our lunch because advertising is what we do for a, bit, um, a living. And um, uh, they were going to float, they were going to do an IPO and instead they are uh, gone into voluntary administration. So a bit sad for an Australian startup. Like they definitely were looking really promising and whether or not you like that type of business or that particular business model was certainly something that seemed to have legs. Um, and now they're basically saying they can't, they can't make a business Business without being able to be sold on the on the app store, I suppose it begs the question: like app stores that are run by private companies, like do they have do they have a 
requirement, a sort of um, an to, obligation, an or? obligation to. I mean, like you know, if you're saying like, "Hey, I'm doing this thing. It's you know, my business is providing this marketplace. Does that business have a, a obligation to fairness, to equality? Like, do you? I mean, if you are directly in competition with me as a business, like it's natural that that business would say, "Hey, I'm not going to let you sell your stuff here." I would have thought that in you know our, our free market society, the most people who are in favor of that kind of you know unfettered market capitalism would be perfectly okay with this mm. happening um it kind of i suppose it, it almost touches on the net neutrality thing that we um, might be talking about shortly but it's um i i, I don't know I have, it's it's a bit of a gray area i guess i mean i don't particularly like google but at the same time i don't particularly like advertising in general so i feel like you know a curse on all their houses personally yeah i'm with you it's 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 hard to get super head up about this particular injustice because I'm not super excited about uh, another advertising platform. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really like ring all my bells, but um, it, it's certainly an interesting question. And, and I'd say like, if you go and look at the Google app store rules, you would, it, it would have plenty of like very clear non-competitive clauses mm -hmm. in there. So I'd say like they were just trying to like kind of get one over and then are just getting pissed off that they got caught. But that's mm -hmm. that's definitely the way every marketplace works is like they have non-competition clauses built in. Have you been following what's been going with Steam and kind of how they manage what gets sold there? Uh, not particularly, not huge gamer, but I have yeah. heard like a few things on the Twitters. Yeah, I, I just picked up on a few tweets from Byte alumni, um, Dan Golding, about kind of the changes um, there over time from mm -hmm. kind of we believe uh, we, we have a very strong opinion about this and we're protecting the people who sell here through to we're just trying to manage this through to we can't do anything about this um, and we're just going to make money out of it. Um, is kind of the feedback that people have been giving about um, how Steam kind of polices um, mm. the, the platform. But um, it's hard. Like you, you go in with the right idea and you build something great and then it's successful and then you have to kind of change your approach and then how do you kind of manage it? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, any any kind of privately owned... I mean, you'd say the same about any any side gig business like mm. Uber mm. or any you know, delivery, all mm. these people, like the, the people making their livelihoods from those platforms are very much at the at the um, mercy of the platform. Like mm. I know people have had like Airbnb places and then for some reason they just got kicked off the platform and like that was mm. a major source of income for them. So, mm. yeah. you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not regulated. It's not something that you can say, oh, I have rights in this space. You, you're at the mercy <laughs> of the capitalists and that's it. Mm. One thing that is working for um, people who are trying to do well, um, Dan, Propeller Aero. Yeah, so Propeller Aero, there's a, a good good news story about mm. an Australian startup. Um, and capitalism. And capitalism. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, Propeller Aero is a uh, Australian-based company that have uh, put together a, a, I suppose it's like a 3D mapping uh, and drone-based oh. um, uh, I suppose platform um, that is uh, getting take, a, take my money now. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, it's yeah. getting a lot of interest from a lot of very wealthy people, particularly in um, uh, China and the US. And uh, we're looking at oh, millions of dollars being thrown at the company to kind of build um, or to build on what they've been doing. Now, uh, Propeller Aero, uh, their, their technology is. Uh, used for, well, it was founded in 2014, but some it, it allows some of the world's biggest mining, quarry and construction companies to create 3D maps of their industrial work sites. So that allows for um, measurement of how much space is left of landfill or imported materials or um, where the level of a new road should be. Um, it's... Uh, but it helps with planning and monitoring and reporting of functions. It's actually going to be a really useful tool for uh, people in the mining and extractive industries for, um, you know, monitoring their sites, particularly, you know, as as uh, we move into uh, 
I suppose in, Mel- in Victoria in particular, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of increase in mining and quarrying as mm. a result of the infrastructure builds that are going on around. Um, but yeah, sorry, Laura, you were... No, I was just going to hop in and say, like, they're also, like, the, this drone work, like, data science with drones and drone surveillance is also going to be um, affecting the way that we maintain and um, keep up infrastructure, things like bridges, um, tunnels, roads, and, you know, like, it's not just privates, it's not just um, the quarries and the mining companies, it's pretty much every kind of asset that is hard to keep an eye on mm. with human human resources human capital will be um you know like greatly greatly improve the ability to like keep our eye on those things and know when they need to do maintenance on them absolutely um, yeah which is actually pretty exciting this is one of those examples of technology actually automating something that people shouldn't have to do definitely definitely and you know it's it's been great to see that they've um you know been growing at the rate that they are they opened mm-hmm. a, a north american office in denver which mm-hmm. is an interesting choice in november last year and, um, good weather. It, does, it does have very yeah. good weather and lots of uh, topography to deal with, mm. which I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and they don't have to like compete with the Silicon Valley. Well, they don't big, need to be in lakes. Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, they can they can probably like attract a bit more talent and pay them slightly more reasonable wages. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Speaking of that part of the world, um, we do have to put a, uh, a period on the net neutrality conversation um, just for a little while. Um, the repeal of net neutrality laws is official um, and, um, yeah, it's kind of, a, I guess, a, a, an anticlimax. Um, Federal Communication Commission's uh, repeal of net neutrality took effect, um, I guess, uh, overnight. Um what it means, uh, I guess in short, is um, there's a bunch of rules that um, uh, have now been um, repealed. Uh, they include blocking. So uh, formerly internet service providers could not discriminate against any lawful content by blocking websites or apps. Um, that's no longer in place. Throttling. Uh, I feel like I get throttled all the time. And then hmm. I call I call up the call centre and they're like, what is throttling? And you're like, come on, you're an ISP. Um, service providers um, could not slow the transmission of data because of the nature of the content, payments, preferences, um, etc. And paid prioritisation, um, which is a, a big issue. Um, so some of the, um, um, I guess, pushback um, against this is from um, startups and, um, I guess, um, um, enterprising um, elements um, in the community who say um, we won't necessarily be able to um, get the... Um, get an equal service. Um, larger competitors will be able to stifle us out. Um, they'll be able to strike better deals um, with the large organisations controlling the pipes. But interesting, um, I mean, this is a, a little a little depressing, but um, Farhad Manju, who wrote a piece in the New York Times, said, um, by the time this actually um, uh, came into play in 2015 under Obama, um, we'd actually moved away from the internet of the 2000s. So if you think about a lot of the people who are running the independent platforms and writing about this in the publications we all read, they they came from this beautiful open internet of the kind of 90s and 2000s, but maybe um, their thinking around it is 10 or 15 years behind the reality of what it is. We have a few big companies managing most of our time in apps delivered through a kind of, you know, a a locked platform. Um, And the service is managed by uh, a handful of companies um, in the States, AT&T, Charter, Comcast, and Verizon. So Mm -hmm. this kind of idealistic web that... um, we imagine is still around, but it's just not the dominant thing that we like to pretend that it is. I feel like is. this is live journal versus medium, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like this small... Well, I mean, I guess the, the issue, particularly with like seeing these net neutrality rules being repealed, is that there, we won't ever see a resurgence of the indie web, right? These mm. like small mm. or like self-hosted providers of content 
um, if the big companies are able to like really make it inconvenient or annoying to access that mm. content or if it's mm -hmm. just, you know, if it's either more expensive in your time or your money, um, mm. you just won't see things go viral or things get visibility. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's a little bit sad. Like, like you're right that the, the style of the internet has changed. And like, you know, I heard one person describe it as like changing from like a, a bunch of weird um, little people doing funny memes to like a bunch of highly polished shop fronts. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about mm -hmm. the web now. It's like, it's like just a very big mall and we're just kind of wandering mm -hmm. around from one shop front mm -hmm. to the other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, certainly it's, it's hard to imagine that we could see a resurgence of that kind of content production or self-hosting. Of course, we've got a limited view on it. Like you, yeah. you and I have a limited experience of kind of these things. Um, well, yeah, of course. But I, I suppose, like, the question is, I mean, you know, like, I, one, one other news article that, that we were going to talk about is um, this uh, AT&T and Times mm. Warner has been allowed to merge and, like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of very relevant to net neutrality. Like, yeah. if you see fewer and fewer providers of both content... A provider and, and a producer get together. Uh, yeah, literally, like, it, it's, you know, like, these monolithic monopolies. Mm. Um then, then like their ability to be anti-competitive gets stronger and stronger. So, mm. you know, and like, I, I don't know about you, but I just don't really trust the corporates to do the right thing. No, well, they're not motivated to. Mm. They're not incentivized to, no. certainly. Right. The three of us, we're staying here tonight. It's mm. raining outside mm -hmm. until we can solve this mm. and um, fix the web. Well, we'll, we'll, neutrality. we'll spin up a couple servers and give everyone some free space and, uh, you know, it'll happen. It'll be great. It'll be just like the 90s. Mm. Or we could get the world's fastest supercomputer to host that indie web. <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. Hey, um, we do love to strap things to our head. I especially like seeing Dan with something strapped to his head. Um, the reason we do have that is because a uh, husband and wife team from Melbourne have picked up uh, a gong, um, the 2018 Australian Good Design Award um, for Interactive Media Artwork, the Storytelling Machine. Um, we're now joined in studio by Betty and Justin. Guys, thanks for coming along. Thanks Thank for having us. Thank you. Uh, so the the award, um, how, how would you describe it? What what makes you feel proud about um, the award for this particular piece of work? Uh, I suppose it's, you know, uh, it's an international award. It's based in Australia, but the mm. Good Design Awards are international. And you work so hard at um, art and you have to, to yeah. survive and to make, you know, interesting new pieces. And it's one thing when the audience reacts in a positive way and responds to what you're doing. It's another thing when industry does because they understand the process behind making a work, particularly a technology-based artwork that has, um, yeah, more sort of digital complexities. Um, and so it's just quite touching really when you when the industry kind of turns around and says yeah we appreciate what you do can you um tell us what the story ma storytelling machine is like what what kind of experience is it and how do people participate with it well basically the machine's a computer um that uh runs a series of projectors and the projectors um project these video worlds which are these are uh, videos of iconic locations um around the world and the audience come in and they draw a picture of any shape and size and uh we've custom made a photo booth that automatically animates the image and places it into one of the video worlds and uh the audience can also add story text about 
meaningful um, life occurrences. And this text is um, shown beside images and it's all randomised. So the machine controls the narrative entirely. And so it's a large collective story. You can enter text in any language and it's a collision of different people's life experiences and expression of what it's like to live in this digital reality that we live in. Um, and where we sort of meet people in virtual ways and meet them in social ways um, side by side. And so it covers these two kind of aspects to what our existence is at the moment because the characters kind of meet each other in a virtual world but people also meet each other side by side in the gallery space. And Justin, your background's in music uh, initially um, and you've and Betty, you've done kind of drama and so forth. Um, is it just about kind of being playful? I, I, I understand it was in kind of jazz and sort of improvise, improvise, improvisational forms of music. Um, did you just kind of constantly want to push things and find different ways to provide experiences to people? Or Pretty much. Um, I became interested in, in using light and, you know, stepped into kind of audiovisual world uh, when I was making music and wanted to, you know, kind of get another dimension to it. Um, but yeah, generally, uh, for me, it's about making something that I haven't seen before, um, ideally, um, because that's really interesting. So, you know, always trying to go a little bit further than where you are and um, hopefully making something which no one's seen. Sure. So I'm I'm sitting here in the studio wearing what could best be described as a crown on, on my head. It's a beautiful <laughs> tiara. It, it's a nice, it's a nice, it's like a sleek looking black tiara. Um, what is happening what right is now my with head? my what is on my head why is it there and how does it feed into what you guys have created so you're wearing a muse headset which uh is an eeg reader so uh, we can see your brain right now and um oh wow so what we're getting, now i can see my brain right now yeah so what we're getting from you is a series of readouts and this is just a smaller uh kind of amount of what's actually coming out to uh, keep it, you know, understandable. So there's five lines there which are going up and down and they're mm -hmm. different brain waves. Theta, delta, um, gamma and beta and so on. Okay. And do you know what triggers those particular brain waves? Are we able to stimulate a particular brain wave by st stimulating me somehow? You can, you can affect um, the responses of your brainwaves. And just to be more specific, we're not actually really seeing inside your brain. We're okay. just able to read the electrical activity that's occurring inside your brain sure. in real time. So it's kind of interesting to be able to see it, you know, on a graph, which we can see here in the studio, which is Justin described as just a set of coloured lines going up and down. Um, and what we can see here is that your delta brainwave is really quite active at the moment. And it just had a peak when I said the word delta. You just suddenly went. It, it knew itself. Yes. <laughs> um, so what uh, what Justin and I have done is kind of look at this graphical readout and go, well, that's one abstract uh, visual representation of what's occurring inside your brain. But how can we make this more interesting, more aesthetically interesting, um, and turn it into a sort of immersive? Um, creative environment. So we took the readings that we get from the brain, which is not simply, as Justin said, it's not simply five signals, it's kind of um, a network of activity that's occurring, and assign these to different um, parameters, whether they're audio or visual. And then we project um, this information in abstract visual form, coloured visual form, into an exhibition space. And so your brainwaves are able to trigger and control the audio visuals in an exhibition. 
I have to say this is much better than the 3D printed version of a idea that I was given once at a, a thing where it was kind of like this kind of uh, ferrous kind of ugly thing. And it was like I was having this beautiful thought and it was yeah. kind of the 3D printer went, you know, it looks like a, something that you get told to pick up in the park when you take your dog out. Um, <laughs> and it was on my mantelpiece, but I've since thrown it out. The novelty wore off. Um, to... to do people feel, do, do they have like an aha moment when they see these projections and go, this is surely what I imagine dreams must look like? Or is it kind of people suspend disbelief for a little while and go, this is pleasant? And It's all pretty abstract. So we've actually just closed down uh, or finished up a, um, a piece we had in Taiwan, which ran for five months. And we had uh, two sleeping teenagers who we were using their brainwaves to control a whole series of projections through... Uh, translucent PVC um, uh, hangings mm-hmm. and that looked beautiful. It was in a large space and so it was it was very um, it was just a beautiful place to be in. But people could walk in and put the headset on and they would see a change um, in terms of the way we programmed it, that it would it would have a state where it was kind of sitting there and then the brainwaves would kick in and the whole thing would change. And different people had different visualizations or they would um, change it to a different extent depending on what we'd hooked it up to in terms of the programming and so on. Um, is it the sort of thing that um, you might ever kind of um, open up for people to have a play with? Um, today we were just kind of like exploring this weird kind of like um, idea storm or kind of like marketplace for, for doing stuff. Mm. How would you kind of experiment with this or is that kind of less fun? Do you like the idea of reducing something down and kind of going, this is what we want? Or Well, we have actually opened it up, I think, because we do yeah, run workshops. Sure. Um, and so what we do is just invite people along to these workshops. We've just come back from Korea where we ran, you know, a full week of workshops, like eight hours a day. It was full on and really brilliant. And people created um, an image that represented, like a 3D image, you know, craft and artwork um, that represented an idea of their dreams. And then we digitised it, we gave them an EEG headset and they could animate this and control this image using their live brainwaves. So it was a way of them being able to connect in a more personal way um, with what's happening inside their brain and learning the ways that they can control their brainwaves, relax, slow, alter what's happening inside their mind. Um, So I suppose we do, uh, we are really interested in inviting people in Um, to play with the system that we've created. It reminds me a little bit of biofeedback, which is sort of can be used to help people maintain um, control over their stress levels or, you know, deal with their stress when it's getting too much. Um, But like a creative, beautiful, artistic interpretation of it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Um, When you're looking at the the straight graph that you can see on the phone here, here in the studio, um, it's reasonably cold. But if you, if you create a work which is moving and then when you consciously, and you can do this, mm-hmm. um, when you really consciously relax and, and bring everything down and bring it slow down, you can actually make the whole artwork settle. Mm-hmm. So you just, it's a matter of standing in a room and, and seeing an artwork that's bouncing around and, and if you learn how to relax it down, then you're sitting in a room where it's all, maybe it's just gently waving. And yeah. that's, that's a way to, to bring people in and make it interesting and, and um, give them a chance to really feel what's happening inside their heads. That's cool, yeah. And I'm, I'm watching the graphs now. The interesting thing is that I'm, like, trying to relax, but then I look at the graph relaxing and get very excited about the fact that I'm controlling it and so it get, it, get, it bump, bump, bounces up again. I'm getting some really cool little peaks and troughs there. Um, can is, is, is it a very direct control or is it, is it kind of more, more of a... 
I suppose, a, a general, uh, like, can you make an image look exactly how you want it to mm. using your brainwaves or is it, is, is it less specific than that? No, 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 it's pretty... Um, the image starts off as being an oval shape. Um, that's just how it is digitised and enters, so people make any kind of image and it's an oval shape. When they put on the headset and their brainwaves are really active, it kind of skews in abstract shapes in really quite dramatically. looks like this, you know, orb that's just shifting and changing all the time with sharp parameters. And when they breathe consistently and, um, and relax, they can bring the image back to an almost still oval shape. So it's quite... It's a mindfulness almost. Re really, mm. yeah. And these mm. workshops where, you know, it spills over into um, where art and technology can help society with mental health issues because we're all lacking in sleep because we're addicted to our devices. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason, but it's one of the major ones. And so we've been using uh, this system that we created, basically an artwork system, to help teach people um, some simple steps that they can take to um, gain autonomy and control over their mind and over their sleeping habits. That's really kind of... That, 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 that application of it sounds fantastic, particularly when you're looking at things like mental health and, um, you know, anxiety, that kind of thing. I've, yeah, because sleep deprivation and anxiety are really, you know... Are, absolutely. ..are a couple, you know. Absolutely. And it's, there's some really big problems emerging now, not only with young people, um, but across, you know, all sort of populations. So, yeah, that's what we were doing in South Korea and we're, we're doing more of those workshops here in Melbourne too. Do, do you find from people who um, visit these installations that um, they want to do it on a more regular basis? That's something that they want to kind of put in their pocket and take home with them and experience? Can we have these kind of like um, dream cafes where you can just kind of drop out for an hour and hang out? That sounds cool. great. <laughs> right. Um, I think we'll start one up next week. Um, it sounds great. Um, it's it's we, we did have a lot of people that would uh, return to this exhibition in Taiwan. Um, so obviously people were coming back to see if they could do something different with it. And to post images on their Instagram. It was a bit yeah, of an Instagram yeah, hotspot because yeah. it was just uh, all the walls were um, mirrored. So it was quite a um, disorienting space. And we had a, we'd created a maze out of um, transparent plastic that um, were four metre drops of plastic that was hand painted. So the, um, it was painted in white abstract shapes and so um, when we projected onto it the white paint would collect some of the um, imagery and the transparency would pass the imagery through so these layers of images that were and the audience could walk through this maze and so it was almost like they were walking inside um, somebody else's dreams there's there's videos online so um, the main thing was it's it's all real time well not the main thing one of the things is it's all real time so you're actually seeing what's going on Mm. at that point in time, which is where the interest lies for me anyway. Mm. And what's next for Plug-in Human? What, what are you cooking up? Or you can't tell us too much. Well, we're opening an exhibition um, Thursday week um, at the uh, City of Glen Ira um, Gallery, and that's for the City of Glen Ira Storytelling Festival. And that's with the storytelling machine. So people can come along and draw pictures and contribute stories to, um, to this big collective story. Um, and you know, we're constantly developing uh, new ideas and we have this massive collection of uh, technology bits and bobs, sensors and all sorts of things that we're uh, looking to unpack in the next week and do some further kind of exploration. We're involved with the Exertion Games Lab in Melbourne. 
and uh, which is a research lab at RMIT University, yeah. and yeah, and we're artists in residence there, so we do a lot of uh, collaboration there. Mm. We're doing um, a series of media art projects with them, where we're sort of looking at disappearing the interface, so that the interface becomes more integrated with the human body. Um, so with this Dream 2.2 um, installation that we had, in my view, the main system is not the set of computers that's running the projections but the main system is the human body it's the brain waves that are coming out that is the central system so we're really interested in um integrating interface you know more and more into the human body and seeing how deeply we can do that so that the system becomes the body rather than the system becoming a computer Thank you so much for stopping in, guys. I feel like we could talk about this and just walk over to the Lomond and pick up a frothy and it would be a long <laughs> night. But um, best of luck with uh, with the project. Thank you so much. Hey, um, one of the uh, interesting ideas out there that um, from time to time comes up is uh, transhumanism. I remember um, back when I started on this show, um, we were inspired by a talk by uh, Amber Case, uh, we're all cyborgs now. And she talked about things like smartphones and, and bits and pieces and how we're augmenting our bodies. So we are, in fact, cyborgs. Um, there are people around the world who aren't happy with that. Um, they don't just want the latest smartphone. Um, they are um, doing things to do what's been called a practical hedge about the idea that we might live for a very long time, if not forever. So if it is true, um, maybe we do want to be injecting placenta blood um, into our calves um, as well as brushing our teeth every night um, or doing weird things like um, like Peter Thiel likes to do. Um, so it's interesting. Um, we often talk about technology where it seemed like it was the right idea, like Google Glass, and then it's actually 10 years later and someone does something that is kind of what should have been done and the timing is right and things just kind of work. So it is worth checking in on transhumanism from time to time to figure out, should we, do we want to live for another 50 years? Do we want to live for another 100 years? Um, so let's do just that. Um, get your notepads out. Um, if you have to make a booking with your local GP, um, ask about it. I was listening to Bite Into it last night. They were talking about transhumanism. What options have you got? Um, I feel like that would be good use of our Medicare dollar. Um, someone has thrown in a, a link about the Cyberwoman. Does anyone want to explain that? Uh, this this lady in Russia, she was a biologist, and she was um, I think she was uh, doing some uh, like. Uh, dissection on a cadaver and she cut herself and she lost a lot of feeling across like most of the primary nerves in one of her hands and um, she wanted to come up with a way of kind of resolving that so she ended up designing she kind of moved out of um, biological sciences a little bit into like technology sciences she made this like super cool suit which is um I came across on Facebook and it it's it's basically this like very cyberpunk looking thing but it has a bunch of hexagons with and they're all electrodes and they can both record impulses and retransmit them. So she was, she was thinking of things like, um, teaching you to, um, recover from nerve damage. Um, so people who have strokes or have any kind of neurological damage. Um, and also it can be used to replay experiences. Um, so for instance, if I was like really rocking out on the, I don't know, guitar or something, and then I wanted to teach Dan how to do the same, the same thing, um, he could potentially, 
put on the suit and replay those experiences and like learn how to do the same thing by feeling it through the the impulses that are transmitted through the electrodes, um, which is really quite a fascinating idea. And also the lady who did this design, she like looks totally like she came out of an anime and I'm just mm -hmm. totally vibing on her style. So like that definitely doesn't hurt for me that she just kicks ass, but it's quite a fascinating idea. Like this thing that a physical experience can be transmitted outside your body. Guys, do you do you ever get tempted to? You were talking before about um, kind of the the system being the the human body rather than the kind of interface and screens and buttons and these kind of impersonal things. If if you kind of imagine a future for yourself where you are kind of formlessly and freely interacting with kind of information and data and projections and dreams, do you, do you feel good about that, or is there are there problems with it? Like, what are the ethical dilemmas for you artists? I think generally the main ethical problems would be what's uh, being done with all that data because we just start to talk about huge amounts, even bigger, you know, than what we're used to today, which is already massive. Um, so it's more control of that data, I think, would be the main ethical. I've got no ethical issues with doing anything to your body as long as you're happy with it. Mm. And I think there's a. Um, it's uh, interesting watching this uh, the video of the Russian woman um, that's just playing here in the studio. But I just wanted to mention, you know, back in 1980, don't forget that it was Melbourne, Australia, Stellark, um, a performance artist who created the artwork called the Hand, um, which was a third hand. That was. Do, do you familiar with this with this work? No. And it was first released in 1980, and he um, attached this prosthetic arm to his body, and he was able to control it. It was attached to his nervous system and um, it was a performance art work that was at the, if I'm right, the Spoleto Festival, which was the Melbourne Festival in 1980. So he's outside the... Um concert hall and anyway it was um it was quite a phenomenal artwork have a look at it uh, s-t-l-a-r-c um he's recently got his doctorate and uh he's a force to be reckoned with with technology so way back then in melbourne we were forging the way for incorporating technology deep inside the human body and mm -hmm. you know i'm all for it that sounds kind of gross but also mm. the sort of thing that you'd stop and kind of pay attention to yeah amazing well, one one thing that I've kind of and we we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago this um, new service uh, from a uh, startup called Nectome, uh, which has a mind uploading service, but it's a hundred percent fatal. So the only way that you can actually upload your mind is if you die. Mm. Where is the kind of the line where you draw? Like I, I want to become transhuman, but then I don't want to be human anymore. Well. There's lots of ways you can approach this and there is kind of like a, a, a lot of things going on. So you've got things like um, biohackers, which we've talked about on the show before, where people kind of um, do things to their bodies or put in um, things. There's the idea that you're you're making a bet and you're like, I'm going to cark it sometime soon or I've been on the darts a bit too much, so better upload the mind and mm -hmm. get out of here. Um, but it goes back. It goes back to kind of like this kind of um, tie-dyed kind of um, era of the '60s, where we just went. Maybe, maybe technology is accelerating at the pace where, within a generation or two, we can do something about this. Um, so Max Moore uh, defined transhumanism as the effort to become post-human uh, through scientific advances, like things that you're talking about there, Dan, mind uploading. Um, he developed his own variant of transhumanism and named it um, Extropy, which is a great idea, and um, founded an institute. And um, the email list became this kind of um, uh, little community of extopians um, in the internet's kind of cyberpunk era. And it's kind of trickled through. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like... Um, 
um, also Anne Rand and this kind of current generation of um, um, internet kind of moguls who believe they've created something of um, historic value and that they want to stick around to kind of see how it changes or how does the movie end? Like I've made these amazing platforms that are changing our worlds and how we live. I want to kind of see how it finishes. Um, so these are the people who are kind of making these hedges and saying, if I can live for 300 years or 400 years, I should probably do that. It's interesting in that once you once you understand how to do that, um, it can potentially really take the enjoyment out of it. You're like, I could stick around f- you know, to see another 10 Richmond premierships. Maybe I should do that. And, you know, maybe I should stop <laughs> playing football because I want to see those flags. Um, does it still become fun? Like, if you can hang around? What do you, what do you reckon, guys? There's a glib answer to that one on the premierships. But anyway. Um, oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Burn, Warren. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think it's really interesting what's going on with uh, with the masks and the deals and so on. Um uh, it'd be nice if a lot of that was a bit more evenly distributed. Um, I think there's a lot of problems we need to sort out regardless because I don't particularly want to live forever if, if the world is a trash heap. Um, so, you know, I think that needs to go hand in hand with actually you know, using that technology not just to um, create a gig economy that makes two people really rich and everyone else ride bikes around late at night, um, but to actually bring everyone up you know, to the point where it's worth living for a long time. There's been um, some discussion and argument going around the web about whether, uh, like, extended life is, like, the new sort of one percenters. It's, like, the, the idea that people for, for whom life extension is possible are the uber-rich, the one percent, the people who for whom, like, you know, resources mean nothing, and then the rest of us live as long as our, like, polluted, sad, crippled earth can support us. Um, and that's certainly not a, a sort of feature I'm keen to get to. I've, I very much hope that we can think about inc- increasing everyone's lifespan at a more consistent rate across the population rather than thinking about, you know, preserving just one or two. Um, I'm actually, just to like be devil's advocate, I'm a big believer that good ideas come back again and that people just are nothing. People are, people are like, you know, fungible resources at the end of the day. It's just the kind of dark, but essentially I don't think that we're that special or that unique or that you know, there's nothing that's that great about us as individuals, whether you're Peter Thiel or, you know, Warren Davies sitting next to me. Although I'm going to say, I think you're a bit better than him, to be honest. You're <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> Warren's like, whatever. Um, but, but fundamentally, I think good ideas come back again. I mean, there's a, there's a weird phenomenon where like scientific um, discoveries can happen simultaneously at opposite sides of the globe. And it's because just overall human knowledge and understanding has advanced far enough that it's time for people to make that leap of intuition and discover that new thing. Um, so yeah, I think I'd much rather focus in general on, you know, preserving people's overall well-being and maybe focus a bit less on making one or two people live to 300, but you know, that's just my two cents. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, the digital divide is a huge issue now and it has the potential to only become larger, you know, mm. the digital haves and the digital have-nots. Um, and that's certainly something that we really try and address with our work because we try to offer everything that we do, we try to do it for free if we're able to, mm. to get it fully funded so that people can come and experience a workshop or an installation, regardless of your funds. And But it's not really the first time, I think, that we've addressed this idea. You know, before penicillin, you know, we didn't live that very long. And, the, you know, this is a scientific medical 
um, transformation really of our life cycle um, that enabled us to live, you know, in some ways twice as you know, double our mm. life expectancy. So, you know, it's a big leap saying, you know, we'll live for 300 years, but let's say that we double our life expectancy through, um, you know, curing certain diseases, enabling certain things within the human body through technology. Personally, I, I see it as a similar kind of extension as um, previous medical interventions in the past. Um, I don't see, you know, an evil robotic future engaging with us. I just see it as a, a further opportunity to expand the human condition. And as you say, there are ethical concerns with that. And for sure, wouldn't it be great if we could all do that together? But as we all know, it's not a fair and even world that we live in. So yeah, that's and it's the reality. And it's worrying to think that, you know, the digital divide now that uh, means that people don't have the same amount of information could be expect could be extended to not having an existence. That that that's a real worry, I think. On that note, uh, I feel, uh, <laughs> bleak, real bleak tonight. Sorry, everybody. It's 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 raining and cold outside. Stay Just inside. Get your beans. Get your shotguns. Um, prepare for it. No, um, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Hey, it's seven fifty-seven and twenty-seven seconds. Uh, you're listening to Bite Into It on Melbourne uh, Radio Triple R uh, <laughs> with Dan, Laura, and Warren. Uh, I was obviously bridging there. Mm. Are you, uh, you playing for the Megas this year, Warren? Um, I am. Apparently, I haven't filled out my form. I did get a question from Kat going, hey, what's going on? Um, I, I am playing in the proud tradition of Bite Into It, going back through George Webster and Phil Wales. Um, I'll do so it one day. Do it one day. <laughs> um, something that has happened as well is um, at uh, Pause Fest um, earlier in the year, um, we did get a talk from someone talking about um, uh, films being made um, uh, via AI. Um, there's a new film out, uh, Zone Out, um, with uh, Silicon Valley star uh, Tom Middleditch. Um, it's interesting. Um, the director, Benjamin, um, who is a piece of AI, um, it's not uh, Benjamin's director or directorial debut. Um, a film did come out um, in 2016, but um, this film was put together in 48 hours, piecing together uh, thousands of hours of old films and green screen footage of professional actors. Um, the resulting movie uh, created for a two-day AI filmmaking challenge um, is not going to win too many awards. Apparently there's some kind of very sketchy kind of moustaches, kind of like overall bits of footage, but I reckon it's the kind of thing that you want to get a pizza on a night like tonight and kind of check out. Um, I'm not sure if it's available yet to, to grab, but um, keep an eye out for Zone Out. Um, uh, it looks like a lot of fun from some of the kind of shorts that um, I have seen. W would you guys go to an AI film festival, do you reckon? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. to say that I have. <laughs> Heck, I don't want a film festival. I want to be able to dictate the terms of my film. I want to say, give me a noir film with like strong female characters and have it have a 1920s style because mm. that's what AIs are going to do for us. Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. With, with specific actors. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yes. want, I want a generation Rachel of... Weiss. Yes. Oh, meets Audrey Hepburn. Now you're talking. I want this film now. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone out there in the film industry is listening, make this happen, please. Uh, what would the theme of uh, your film be if you had to like pick a duo or um, pick a, a film that you could kind of blend your story onto? What might it be? Oh, that's, uh, um, I suppose, strong female leads. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. But you want an actual name of a film. Mm, yeah. I don't know. You can argue about it later. Just first best choice. Oh. I, I don't really, I don't, nothing springs to mind. Mine would probably just, I, I like the clash of random that an AI is going to give you. Mm, that so. is good. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.